Hello and welcome to this episode of Motivational Interviewing and Beyond. I'm Joel Porter and on behalf of my friend, colleague and co-host Steve Rolnick, I'd like to welcome you to the episode on learning and training in a virtual world and how COVID has required us to think about how we learn and how we develop skills and what the future of all this is. So Steve and I, together with some fantastic guests uh, from around the world, explored what it's been like to transition from face-to-face training uh, to virtual training, as well as for people who have been doing some virtual training for quite some time, how they've sort of fast-forwarded what they're already doing into this virtual world of online education, professional development, and training. Uh, We hope you enjoy the podcast. Uh, Please share it with your colleagues and friends, and please let us know if you have any thoughts and comments. We'd love to hear. Hi, Catherine. What do you say, Steve? We we start easing into it and um, get the conversation rolling. Yes, let's go for it. All right, all right, all right. So uh, we did the warm up, and I want to welcome everybody who's here and people who are arriving to our. Um, I don't know what number webinar this is, Steve. We're coming around 10, 10 or so. Um, that we, we've been doing this. It's almost been a year since we had the idea to do this. But welcome. We're glad you're here. We're honored you're here. Um, and I think we have a pretty um, engaging and lively conversation ahead of us. And we're looking forward to contributions from not only our guests, Susan Dopart and Ken McMaster, but people from the audience, because I know that there's a lot of learners and there's a lot of teachers and trainers in the crew. So it'll be a a fun conversation. Um, And as usual, we don't have any answers. We just have some ideas and some questions. So I'm I'm Joel Porter here in Chili Christchurch at six o'clock in the morning. Absolutely delighted to be hanging out with people from around the world. Um, And I'm with my friend and co-host Steve Rolbeck. You wanna say hi, Steve? Hello, everybody. I'm, I'm Steve and I'm here in Cardiff, Wales at the end of a fairly sunny spring day Um, and I'm looking forward to Joel saying what the question is that we don't have the answer to. Well the question is where to from here with virtual learning? Um, Okay. I I, um, I, will get more into that but just a couple just a couple little things that we would like to talk about. Um, One is we we do this webinar um, because it's fun mainly, and we get to engage and, and, and be and hang out with so many people from around the world and have good conversations. But also we are, um, we're trying to provide some support uh, for one of, the, one of the many charities that are in need, the Guardians of the National Treasure. And it's a, it's a group that's near and dear to Steve's heart. And I'm gonna let Steve talk a little bit about them. Yeah, I don't know how we got hitched onto them right at the beginning, but um, from the donations that come through from this webinar, immediately the next day, the money is spent without any administrative overheads. But look, this is a, a, um, 
a project in a very dangerous township in Cape Town, South Africa. And um, I have got to know the founder and director of this project very well over the years. And the name of the project is the Guardians of the National Treasure. That's the children. And it's a community upliftment project designed to help the children develop interests and aspirations that go beyond, um, sorry, forgive me, that go beyond um, gang membership. Um, and so the last year has seen uh, the di this director do everything from developing football and teams and ballet squads to uh, feeding people, which is where they're now at. And I'm going to put the, um, the URL into the chat column. I've just done that. And the request here is that since this is free, why don't you lean a handout, click on the URL and donate whatever you like to the Guardians. Uh, they'll be hugely grateful, as we will be. So thank you very much, Joel. I'll shove the uh, URL in again towards the end of the webinar. But go, go for it if you're so inclined, people. Yeah, absolutely. Even if, if every every dollar matters, so there's there's no limit to what you what you can donate, and we greatly appreciate it. And we know Ralph does too. Um, all right. Well, Steve. So I don't know what this year has been like for you, but as somebody who has made um, training, um, particularly training people in motivational interviewing, a um, a big part of my professional world. Um, one of the things that I realized really quick around January of last year was that with COVID, there was no capacity or way to continue to drive, um, provide face-to-face -face training. And so a lot of the, the work that I had just, just went away in, in literally a couple of weeks. Um, and then Zoom came along as a thing, you know, and people were wanting to do Zoom workshops. And I got to admit, I've, I've been a, I've been a, I wasn't an early adopter of uh, virtual training, um, just like I wasn't an early adopter of, of telephone therapy. And, um, but I've, I'm quite often proved wrong when what I want isn't always net, isn't always going to happen or, or other people have other ideas and desires. But one of the things that I've learned really quickly is that the world of, of how people are learning, whether it's school or whether it's professional development um, or most anything, that's it, it, changed. It's, it's been terraformed by virtual training. And so my, my, questions, my questions are, um, one being empirical, is virtual training as effective as face-to-face -face classroom um, training? Do we know that? Do we not know that? Um, and what's the future of it? Because as we're finding out these platforms like Zoom, they continue to expand and grow. And one of the things that I'm starting to see is that businesses and colleagues are putting, investing time and resource into their online training platforms. And I wonder, how people are going to go backwards and how companies are going to justify flying somebody 
across the country, around the world, putting them up in a hotel, hiring a, a, a training hall, feeding people, and um, when they can do it online. If, you know, having worked in, you know, in management roles, you know, knowing that, you know, CEOs and financial officers want to know what the, the bottom line costs are and how can you save money. And then mental health training is one of the first ways that, that the budgets to get shrunk really quick. So that, that's where I'm at with this. And I have to admit, I'm enjoying some online training. I'm not doing it a lot. Um, it's certainly not doing as much online training as I was face-to-face. -face. I've had the opportunity to run a couple of face-to-face workshops in Australia when I was living there and absolutely loved it. Um, so that's where I'm at with it, Steve. I, I don't know where, what your experience has been in terms of uh, venturing out into the virtual world of training? Uh, yeah, I, I, it'll be really good if people can put in the chat column um, questions they have or observations as we go along. I uh, will be monitoring it. But Joel, I'm relatively green here. So I'm gonna enjoy the conversation. Um, and I have some personal experiences and observations, but certainly not enough to answer, to even address that question online versus in person. But, but I've got kind of, there's a clear warning bell ringing that like comparing two treatments, one versus another, here two media, one versus another. It's a bit like a horse race question that I don't think is gonna produce a very uh, helpful or singular answer. I've got a suspicion that it's going to be, um, well, it depends. And uh, uh, the other observation that I would make is um, an appeal to our hearts and to start with how we feel about this shift in roles and what have our experiences have been um, and what are our talents and how can we use our talents if it's going to be online how can we express our talents online? And I've, I've struggled with that, I must say. Um, but there you go. I'm going to hold back for now and suggest that you open it up, Joel. Okay. I can see that there's some really good stuff coming in on the chat line. Yeah, that would be great, Steve, if you, can, if you can keep an eye on the chat line um, yeah. and just kind of bring that forward as we go because we're, we're fairly unscripted here. Um, so Susan, why don't you why don't you come on, and let's uh, let's begin the conversation a little bit. Welcome, Susan. It's great to see you again. Great to um, see you. Thanks so much. Seems like a, a couple of years ago that Chris and I were out in uh, your wonderful offices, running a group of live training of motivational interviewing groups. Right, in just Los down the hall. So, yeah, you're just down. The, so that's great. I got an idea of where you are. So everybody, this is Susan Dopart. Susan is a um, dietitian, um, a member of the Motivational Interviewing Network of Trainers, and, and much, much more. She's an author um, and a clinician, and, um, and just in general, um, I, I don't know what to say, just top shelf <laughs> all mm -hmm. around. And I know that um, when I was thinking about who we could bring on to this, and I was talking with our, our friend and colleague, Margo, and I said, who's going gangbusters with with training these days online. And she said, oh, Susan Dopart. And I said, oh, great. It'll give me a chance to connect with you again. So, so Susan, what, what, 
tell a little bit about where how things are for you and, and what you're finding about this virtual learning world. Well, I'll tell you a little story how it got started. Um, about four years ago, I had a lovely woman come to one of my two-day trainings. And then about six months later, she called me and said, we want you to do a virtual training. And I said, well, you know, I just, I don't know. It's probably not going to be as good as an in-person training. She said, Susan, you're going to do it because it's coaches from all over the world. And it's on this platform called Zoom. And you can use our account and we'll train you how to do it. I said, okay. So I did two or three trainings for them and I was sold because I thought, oh, you can put people in virtual breakout rooms. You can show videos. You can um, do all those things. And this is long before anyone knew what Zoom was. And uh, so I actually started doing Zoom trainings shortly after that for myself. And um, little did I know that I was gonna be very prepared for when COVID hit that um, you know, it was just something I was already doing. And um, I think there's a lot of pros to doing virtual trainings. I don't know if you want me to get into that now um, and my experience sure. with that. Oh. Well, what's interesting is there's a lot of companies, as you said, that now don't have to pay for travel or hotel or food or a conference room. So they're finding virtual trainings much more um, affordable for them. But what I have found as a trainer is that um, you can actually do a lot more supervision and coaching within a virtual training than you would in an in-person training. Because although, you know, I think it's so much more fun to be in an in-person training and go around and listen to people, when you're um, in a virtual training, you can practice reflections, affirmations, you know, with everyone in gallery mode and have them having them do it popcorn style where they pick each other and then practice reflections. And then I always ask permission can I give, would it be okay if I gave feedback? You know, please tell me no. And most of the time people say, you know, I loved the feedback. I loved watching other people do reflections or affirmations and what they would say. And it was such a rich learning experience. And so I think that is one of the huge benefits of virtuals is us being able to really help people dial in um, the accuracy of how to make complex reflections, how to do affirmations versus praise statements. Um, and that's one of the biggest, I think, benefits of virtual training. So that sort of observational learning that wouldn't happen if you just put people in small groups. Right. Because okay. they don't really know, you know, what they're doing and, you know, they're practicing and they love the connection and being with a partner. But sometimes, you know, are they truly doing motivational interviewing and getting that feedback, um, you know, on how to do it accurately. What, um, when you think about this in, as, as a learning mode, um, the, the virtual world, what do you, what are you seeing some of the limitations are? Where do you, where do you see, if you could make it different in any way, how would you do that? Well, I think one of the main things is Zoom fatigue. You know, people are on Zoom all day long and they get tired and, you know, screen fatigue. And so part of the challenge of making a virtual training the best you can be is, you know, as Richard Rushkin says, you know, changing things up every 
10 minutes so that they don't get tired. And so I have found you really have to be on your toes. Um, you know, you can't sort of like in a, a uh, live training, walk around and think about what you're going to do. You have to be on the whole time, you know, okay, I'm going to show a video. Okay. Now we're going to do an exercise. Okay. Now they're getting tired. So now I have to pull out a game. And um, the one thing that I have found that people love is um, this program called word wall, where you put in different ambivalent statements and it's like kind of will of fortune and you click on it and people have to make reflections or affirmations in the moment. And they love that. Um, so that's a really fun one. And you know, some, there's other games you can do. Um, I actually do a lot more coding, tapes and coding. And there's certain groups that just love coding. Oh, can we do another code? You know, mm. it's, a, um, it's really interesting. I think it's, it's opened up a lot of new horizons for, um, different learning styles and what people like and don't like. And um, I frequently, you know, check in with people, um, you know, how are they doing and giving them a choice and emphasizing autonomy all throughout the um, workshop in terms of what people want to do. And, you know, of course we are the model for MI, but I think, I think there's actually a lot more opportunity in a virtual training because I'm mixing things up so much to to really give people that autonomy about what they need and don't need. Okay. So variety is the sort of spice of life and, and getting mm -hmm. these going and, and being attentive and pacing people as they're going through the training is yeah. something that's really important. And, and that's one of the things that I sort of miss with the face-to-face -face because there's that, that fourth dimension of the, I don't know, the sort of energetic dimension of what it's like to be in the room when you can tell how things are going with people or, 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 or how, how attentive people are being. Um, that's one of the things that, that, that seems to be from a learning perspective or a teaching perspective or a training perspective that, that seems to be not there for me. Um, and so it's, it's how do I sort of get that sort of energetic feedback from people about how how it's going you know and and the breaks when you can you know people come up and they say you know well this is going really well or could you do a little bit more of this or a little less of that there's not as much of that opportunistic feedback mm -hmm. um i guess that, that i that i experience but i'm i'm figured there's probably a workaround and just got to mm -hmm. figure it out well one thing one way i have figured not quite yet but figured how to, how to help that a bit is I asked people at the beginning, if possible, to keep their cameras on so that we all can interact with each other. And I um, talk about how I know it's the pandemic and we're not operating at 110%. So if you know, you have to attend to your child or take a bathroom break or whatever it is, it's, it's perfectly fine. And I think it's interesting that some groups are very um, interactive where they talk out loud and other people are um, really love the chat. I think it depends on the age group, but I encourage both chat and um, talking out loud as much as possible um, to allow people that autonomy of what they need. But sometimes when people are quiet, like I've had a few groups that were very quiet and I'll say, you know, I want to check in with you and tell me what's going on. Or, um, you know, just, are you thinking about what, what we're talking about? Is it uh, relevant to you? Is it too boring? <laughs> and I find when I really 
bring that forth, people come out and go, you know, it's just, it's really wonderful, but I'm just really thinking about how I could apply this. And so just trying to read the room and read people's faces and what's going on a lot more than I even would in an in-person training. Mm, okay. Before we, um, before we bring Ken up, Steve, you have any, any thoughts or reflections you'd like to share? You're Steve, muted. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Right. Yeah, I, I noticed a, a, a comment from Kay Wright about how she much prefers online learning. It's, it's kind of less threatening. And she points out she hates role play, um, which I, I, I share that, that, that experience. And that there's a certain feeling of, of safety and intimacy online that, that really promotes learning, which is interesting. Um, but Susan, I'm wondering about, what about your well-being? Um, because it, listening to you, it sounds, you know, it sounds pretty hectic to have to every 10 minutes be thinking about this or that and adjusting. And I guess in, in person, I'm quite, you get kind of used to that. But online, that would completely finish me to have to think every 10 minutes. And how does it affect your well-being? And, and what's that journey been like? Mm -hmm. Well, I think I was very tired at the beginning of, you know, a four hour training, even more tired than a full day training. But, you know, just like with neural pathways, I've kind of trained myself to know how to pace and, and know what to do. And, you know, my husband always makes this comment, you get to teach today in your socks. Yeah, 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 <laughs> so, yeah. You know, there's something nice about, you know, not having to drive downtown and, you know, hit all the traffic and be gone for 12 hours. You know, it's, there, there's a benefit to that. So I end up being less tired overall because of, you know, I'm just used to it. I used to do, you know, maybe a training a week. And with COVID, I've been doing like three, at least three trainings a week now um, with all the different companies that I'm um, teaching for. And so I'm just kind of used to it now. Yeah. Yeah. And so it also sounds like there's a sense in which you're, you're able to encourage learning in them without feeling too responsible yourself for every experience that they have. Mm -hmm. And you do that online. In person, I know the experience of, of, of not feeling responsible right. for right. every good experience that goes on in the room. But it sounds like you, you've found a way of, of going through it so that you're on top of the technical side, presumably. Mm -hmm. You didn't mention any of that, and, and that's where I've got a lot to learn. But that you, you seem able to um, keep folk interested and engaged. Well, I think I finally found my rhythm. And like you said, I don't, I do the best I can, but I'm not responsible, you know, for how people. Yeah. Um, I'm responsible for the intervention, right? But not, you know, how it's accepted. Um, but you know, trusting in the method of MI that people will get what they need as long as I um, stay true to the spirit and um, stay true to reading the room and trying to evoke in people what they need all throughout the training. And what about breaks? I see Michelle's uh, raised a question there about Zoom fatigue. Um, and somebody else raised a question about how often do, do people have breaks? I think it was Mindy Homan. Um, how do you handle that, eh? 
I usually take a break um, one and a half to two hours in, depending on the group. If I'm doing an all day training, I might take, you know, a couple minute bathroom break every hour or, but if I'm doing like a three or four hour training, I usually take a break midway through. Yeah, I'm gonna, Steve, I had a, I'm Susan, when Zoom started, I had a couple of workshops scheduled for overseas and they were like the standard two day workshops. I said, oh, we'll just do it on Zoom. It was like 16 hours on Zoom in two days. And I think we were all exhausted at the end of that. Um, and, and they wanted to structure it just like, go to 10.30, take a break, have lunch, take a break in the afternoon and be done. And one of the things that, that I found is that, is that Zoom just wears you out in a different way mm-hmm. than, than, than working hard and learning and practicing and trying to understand something. It's another, it's another level of fatigue for sure. And can you pinpoint what it is? You say it, it's tiring in another way. What, what is that? Um, for me, I can remember, you know, like doing things like writing a dissertation and, 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 and I don't stay on my computer a long time because I don't want to look back at my life and think I spent, you know, half my life looking at a screen. But I can remember times that I've done that. Yeah, I fall into, I would, it's certainly not a flow state. It's more of an, a, an intoxication yeah, sort yeah. of thing with the screen where, where you disconnect and then you then feel like, God, I've been on, I've been looking at a screen for three or four hours and I need to go and look at trees or something like that. And I imagine it's a similar state that people get into when they're playing video games or poking machines or slot machines where you kind of get really, parts of your brain start shutting down that aren't necessary and you get really focused, almost entranced with the screen wow. and what's happening. And that's why I think for me, it just tires me out in a different kind of way. I don't like reading books on a Kindle. I've tried it. I can listen to them or read them on paper, but something about looking at a screen just doesn't work well for me as a, a, a learning mode without breaks. Yeah, one thing that I've done is I built in um, stretch breaks, like every, you know, every 15 minutes, at least, you know, where I have people get up and stretch and do neck stretches and arm stretches. And um, that seems to help a lot. So, Ken, why don't we bring you up and you can and you can uh, get you introduced. And I'd love to hear what you have to thought about this, because like Susan, you've been an early adopter of um of doing virtual work and and blending um learning learning strategies together so hey, thanks, um, Joe. <laughs> your, your camera's not working ken yeah i know okay it doesn't seem to want to open up for me for some reason i don't know what's going on i can um, see susan's going to work on it um, okay. let me just introduce you a little bit ken um so ken mcmaster is a, a dear friend of mine who lives just over the port hills um in Christchurch, and um, and we've been working together for over well over ten years um, on on a range of different projects, um, particularly a lot of motivational interviewing training um, here and in Australia. And um, Ken's a social worker. He's in he's a longtime um, trainer within the world of corrections and family violence and addictions and motivational interviewing. And um, I'll be really interested in in what's been happening in your head and, and in your office around all this. And could I, just, could I just welcome you, Ken, and say, 
in my whole life, I've only ever once worn a bit of jewelry. And it's this pendant that hangs around my neck. And it was something you gave to me in New Zealand many years ago. And it's not broken. But um, so you've always been close to my heart, Ken, with that pendant. Thank you. Steve, thank you very much. And I'll uh, join you, you with yeah. mine as well. So, Tena Koto Katoa, Tena Koto Yatato, Tena Atua, Tena Koto Welcome from uh, Aotearoa, New Zealand. And Steve, it was always lovely that you made the effort to come to our part of the world and uh, share your wisdom. Um, I'm one of those, since Susan started the story, I'm one of those old trainers that's been in the training room forever. And um, so interesting to think about when COVID came. I would have, in, in 2019, I spent probably six months on the road mostly in Australia, actually. So I was back and forth. So it's interesting to think about um, there's been some upsides and downsides. So as Joel said, overnight, my world changed. And I've had more, as Suzanne, my partner, says I've been home more in the past year than I have in the last 30, which has been rather lovely. And so I can certainly think about this idea of, of a lot less stress, a lot more time, a lot more of me, actually, um, because often I come home tired or have to leave early. So interesting, this idea of, of learning. I want to come back to the question, uh, where to for here for virtual learning? And I think we need to think back about what is virtual learning? And uh, it's not just Zoom. And, and, and we've been with this idea for some time. And thinking about actually, how do we, what's the outcome we want um, from giving people a learn, learning experience? And so when we think about that idea, there's many ways to actually learn. And uh, for a long time, we've been we've had a number of sort of online packages that are self-paced, and we've also done sort of blended approaches. So the idea is that you give people some some stuff on 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 Rise or Articulate three hundred and sixty, and so they do some self-paced work to get ready for the experience of the in room or the Zoom. And so my view is that we can often teach knowledge and theory online. And then we really want to use the in-room for, for experiential having a go, the stuff that you're talking about, Susan, to actually play with the ideas. The other, the, the, back, the, the back end of that, of course, is actually what do you do with it when you go back to your workplace? Because one of the things we want to think about a lot is learning transfer. And uh, again, this idea, if I don't have to go back and do something with what I've learned, I'm probably going to not do it. So one of the things we've blended into a lot of our learning experiences, and I talk about learning experiences as opposed to, you know, online learning, but learning experience is actually having accountability. So, for example, we've got a, a six-module package that New Zealand Corrections run. We've, we've probably run, golly, I think about 2,000 people through that, quite frankly. And, and, and But the expectations, they do a piece of work, then they go back and talk to their practice leaders. They talk and they talk about... I've learned this bit of uh, these ideas. How do I now implement that in my, in my case management? How do I now, what are the tensions here for me? Have I got the right end of it? So the practice leaders, we've been doing a lot of work to support them to actually be able to coach in, 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 you know, in, in, in frontline kind of practice. So I'll be thinking about those ideas. So, um, so, so as I said, my world changed hugely. Um, and, and so I've always been a fairly early adopter of uh, you know, new tech and stuff like that. So um, it wasn't that much different because we've been using GoToTraining and some of those other platforms. Zoom is actually much more user-friendly, so it's fantastic. It's interesting to thinking about um, the idea of, of, of breaks. Now, I take a break every 10 minutes, 10 minutes every hour for people. 
because I just think it's too much. I also stand when I'm training. So I also want to, you know, I'm not just getting into that that sitting for my own energy, my own kind of thing. So I'm at a standing desk now. Uh, and, and that just keeps me in the zone too. The challenge we've got, I think, with, with uh, online learning is distraction. You know, how often are, are we, we watching, you know, people are watching, we're online with them, and you know they're looking at something else. You know, you know that they're mm-hmm. on the screen and they're distracted with their Facebook or they're on their phone. And, and particularly when people got multiple screens, you know, it's interesting. And as a trainer, one of my challenges is for me not to be distracted, to, to be present. Uh, so there's something about, we talk in MI about engagement and focus as, as in terms of the four processes of MI. And I think it's kind of useful to think about how do we really get people engaged and focused so they're not distracted. So, you know, I really raise that one really on in training and say, you know, all I'm asking for you is to be focused as much as possible for the next 50 minutes. And then we'll have a break and you can check your phone, check your messages, whatever. Um, it, it, it's, it's respectful stuff. But because we're asking people to share themselves in terms of practice, their ideas. And, and I think that needs to be respected in the room as much as online. Online can be much more distracting. But in the room, I would expect people to attend, not to be on their phones and texting and doing things like that, because I think that's rude. So I'm, I'm one of those old-fashioned kind of guys that think, actually, be present and be present in the moment, because this is a rich moment. And uh, we've only got a little bit of time to actually cover often quite a lot of ground. So that's uh, so one of my so I, I'm for those grumpy old guys sometimes in that regard. So that's okay though. <laughs> um, one of the things, <laughs> sorry, Joe, you gonna say? Well, I, I was going to say th- cankerous isn't a word that comes to mind when I think of you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you haven't seen me. Um, but one of the things, the options, it's interesting because because the tiring thing and uh, is interesting. This idea of tired now. You, you know, new research coming out around uh, online virtual training is we don't blink enough. Did you know that? We don't blink enough when we're online compared to when we're actually in real connection with people. So there's something about that. So I really encourage people to, you know, every half an hour to gaze into the distance and uh, stretch those eyes. And uh, it's interesting, this idea, there's actually some just health and safety things that I think are really important. Um, and, and again, that idea of like what you're saying, Susan, stand up, have a stretch, have a, have, have a walk around. That's okay. Um, let's not be just just located in in a seat. Because in training, you know, we know that actually movement creates energy. Even getting people to sit up, get up, and go to a breakout space, you know, that just that sense of movement. We don't do that. Probably the other big learning, and and this goes to, um, we're not just doing stuff uh, in terms of MI. We're doing stuff in terms of I'm doing virtual kind of onboarding for family violence programs that we uh, people are running of our programs. Uh, and also the stuff around remote delivery of interventions. And, and, and there's something about actually tra- that idea of engagement transitions in and out. So if I'm just sitting in my bedroom, I just come from the kitchen, from my bedroom to the kitchen, I'm sitting there to do work, whether it's training or, 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 or intervention. There's something about that idea of getting ready for the experience. And because, you know, when you think you come to training, you go to go to a proper training, you have to travel, you have to get in the traffic, you have to you know go places. So there's, there's something in that warm up process to be ready for coming into this space, which will bring some anxieties. Absolutely, because people hate skills practice and um, there'll be some anxieties, but people are often more ready. So there's something about we need. I think we need to think about those transitions and getting people ready for the experience, a lot more of that front end stuff. Um, 
And, and the only other thing I want to say really is that we've, we've experimented with a whole lot of ideas, you know, half days, full days, days week apart, consecutive days. And, um, and I think they, they all have their ups and their minuses, you know, the pluses and minuses. It's just uh, really tricky to, um, to know what kind of works. And, um, you know, to hold people for a day, uh, I think we do need to use a huge diversity of learning styles. And um, I was doing a group yesterday. It was only a, it was a four-hour afternoon session. But, you know, this is on family violence, family harm. So it's a pretty intense kind of serious kind of issues with practitioners. And uh, I just know for them by, by you know, 4.30 their time, time difference, 6.30 my time, you know, they're, they're pretty tired. And uh, you see that in the room. So, yeah, there's something about that tension, really. So um, I'll pause there and you might have some conversations or questions to pose. Well, that, that's interesting about the blinking because it seems like I was listening to some podcast and they were talking about how many times we blink a day. It's like, you know, crazy number of times. But the importance of it in terms of what that could do to creating fatigue by not having your eyes properly moistened and sure. giving them a little bit of a break. So that's... Yep, yep. Number one, an advert here, placement advert. <laughs> Eye drops. Absolutely. Absolutely. Totally critical. Good idea. Good idea. Well, there's a lot, a lot of ideas kicking around. A lot of a lot of a lot of years of kind of trying to figure out what works and what doesn't. And I'm kind of going back to what you said, Steve. It depends, doesn't it? <laughs> it depends on the length, it depends on the topic, it depends on the content. I'm wondering how this works in classrooms with students um, who, are, who are now have been over a year in some countries learning remotely at home on a computer screen. I wonder, I wonder for teachers what, what this must be like um, in regards to classroom management and, and not being there to, to give hands-on help. And, and for students, I remember in, <clears throat> We only had a couple of weeks of homeschooling in Australia, and I was frazzled by the end of it um, because, you know, <laughs> my son and his buddy kind of took it as like, you know, we had a holiday for two weeks. And so I was the, having to mind the shop and um, also trying to kind of um, keep them engaged as well. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't know, Steve, if, if you've had any conversations within the world of education about how people are traveling with us no i've just um had i've just chatted to people like my daughter who's in medical school and to friends who are at university and mm. shame it's really sad to hear the stories of um lecturers simply transposing what they know from in-person lectures on online and i noticed neither susan nor ken mentioned powerpoint which is you know, interesting. It's a, it's a question I want to ask him in a moment, but um, I was quite sad, you know, uh, last week I attended a, 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 a learning experience for people treating kids with HIV in different African countries. And so there were a large number of practitioners from diverse countries and tribes in Africa. And I was really looking forward to this because it was, it was, it was billed as a, as a case discussion session and then wh whack every person who presented a case had a PowerPoint. You're freezing up, Steve. Sorry? Can you hear me? I said, 
Yeah, it must be my internet. You were just freezing up a little bit. That's okay. Um, everybody uh, uh, delivered their stuff via PowerPoint, and I just felt so flat, and and the opportunity for exchange was was limited. And so um, I'm wondering about what, about you know Susan and Ken, how how much do you use things like PowerPoint? And um, yeah. You want to go first, Ken? I'll let you jump in soon. Okay. Do you use it? Um, I, I have to show you a funny, funny screen. So if that's okay. Yeah, sure. So I use a lot of pictures to try to keep people engaged. And this is one of my early slides, you know, to really uh, pull people in and get a little chuckle. And um, But I go back and forth between PowerPoint, but it's a lot of putting people in gallery to practice the videos, the games. So I jump around a lot because otherwise it would just be too didactic and people aren't gonna learn and that's gonna contribute again to more Zoom fatigue. So the more I mix up um, the different modalities, the more people stay engaged, but I still do keep the PowerPoint and I find sometimes I think, oh, should I put this many slides as I do. And what's interesting is in the debrief, there's certain people that really learn by reading things on a PowerPoint. And they'll come back and say, you know, I noticed you said this on one of the slides that was really helpful to me. So part of this is kind of how do you tailor it to all the different learning styles um, yeah. that bring to the room? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a PowerPoint user, Steve, um, yeah. I must say that, um, but, but again, it's not death by PowerPoint. I think that's, uh, I agree with Susan, it has to, you have to mix it up really. Like, And I'd always send the PowerPoints out prior to the training, so people have got access to them, you know, uh, and, uh, if they wanted to have them available. Um, because again, PowerPoints should often have only key ideas, they shouldn't be sort of um, overly kind of filled with stuff. But again, I use it often for illustrations and, and particularly around processes and visuals because it all captures the visual learners. But I think we do need to keep, as Susan said earlier, we need to keep mixing it up, uh, those different learning styles. And um, and I think uh, think about some of David Rosengreen's material, this idea of, of, of introducing ideas, but then coming back and, 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 and revisiting. So getting to that point of almost competency, but then going away, then coming back. So that idea of, of repetition learning, I think, is the, one of the keys. And um, yeah, so, so I, I think that's useful. And, and again, in, in, in learning, you know, this is what we do in, in my training anyway, we, we would want to revisit skill sets and keep adding on to more complexity, right? We start basic often and then keep adding more complexity and asking people to, to start then to do not just um, simple reflections, but we get them to then, you know, do an interview and then do some more complex stuff and, and try and populate that, trying the ratios up. So all those, all those skill things. And, and I think it's interesting to think about it. So look, I, I'm probably like all of us, we're using a range of some PowerPoints, small group work, breakout rooms, video, um, demonstrations, demos, all the kind of things that we would do. So I, I think it is a challenge to, it is about keeping people in the room with us. Wow. I mean, and, and looking at Mira uh, has made a comment about her grandson, and it's the same with my daughter. There seems to be quite a, 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 a big difference in approach here. Uh, and, and I think this group of people uh, among us today, I mean, it's, we, 
quite high-end, sensitive, and thoughtful and creative in how we how we you know make for good learning experiences. But a pre-recorded lecture where you don't see the face of the lecturer ever and you just see PowerPoint slides, that sounds like the new normal in many British universities, and it's a shocker. Wow. Wow. Yeah, no, that would that would talk about wearing somebody out. That would just wear me out. I'd oh. much rather just send me the PDF of the slides. Well, I, I agree, Steve. Learning is actually interacting with ideas. Yeah. And, and passively receiving ideas is not learning. And I think, you know, like, I, 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 it saddens me that that's the case. So, so that's why I think, you know, we, we want to engage with, uh, give people some knowledge, but then you have them talk about, well, how do you make sense of this? How do you apply this to your work? What's, what's the tension here? Well, what's going to keep you remembering to apply these ideas? So, so it's about, a I think we just get it's a learning experience as opposed to a knowledge dump. I think they're very different things. Yeah. Yeah, and I think one of the things that teachers, educators, trainers, coaches, what we're doing is 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 when you're in that role, right? When I'm in a, a teaching or a training mode, I'm sharing my brain with everybody in the room, and and likewise. So it's how do you keep that interaction going? And I don't think looking at a bunch of slides with my voice kind of talking through them isn't doing that. It's just it's just basically an audio book of my slides. But how do you if, how do you interact with ideas and the ideas are coming from the coach or the trainer or the educator? And that's that personalized bit of learning that I think is, is that I appreciate. Is it is it that there's a human quality to it? There's a, there's a human interaction going on that is engaging to me, that pulls me in and, and as you're layering complexity on that keeps me with you. And you bring up um, a key point, Joel, a lot of companies will ask me, you know, can we tape your training and then just use it for other employees? And I've really held true to this. And I say, for the safety of the training, we cannot tape it because I want people to feel free to share and share experiences that they're having and not feel like it's going to be shown later but it also robs um, your employees of the opportunity to practice and really work on the language of MI. And so I've lost a few contracts by holding true to that, but um, you know, that's my, um, the way I've really interacted with a lot of companies is that it has to be live. And Susan, um, can, I, can I ask you this? Um, maybe this is a peculiarity of mine, but one of the sensitivities that I've, I think I've got and have refined over the years with in-person training is to observe and sense how well people are doing, how engaged they are, and to think creatively about ways of improving that. And, you know, if you, it, 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 it's for me the most important skill and accounts for the fact that um, when I run in-person workshops, I'm continuously improvising. Mm -hmm. And so when people say, can I have the program? It's not that I'm a loose thinker. I do have a structure in mind, but I'm dancing around that structure and bringing things, different things in because of the sensitivity to how people are getting on. How do you judge that online? 
Well, I'm constantly, this is another thing you have to keep, um, keep on top of. I'm constantly looking or scrolling through the screen to look at people's faces and seeing, are they engaged? Are they not? If I show a video, do they light up? You know, is it a video group? Is it a game group? Is it, and you can tell by watching people and their expressions and how well they're engaged. So I usually try to monitor that as closely as I can and then mix things up accordingly. Wow. So you're developing that sensitivity and, and techniques for monitoring how they're getting on. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow. So one of the things that I was thinking of, and I, 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 Steve, Steve Bergsmith, I sent you a message to see if you wanted to join in. If you do, just text us back and we'll promote you on the panelists because I'd be really interested in your thoughts as well. Um, one of the things that Steve you touched on is that at doing this in Zoom, you have to be, there's a technical side of it and there's the, the facilitative side of, of doing virtual learning. And I'm not certainly in a position where I can have an, uh, an assistant running the room. You know, you know we, we, we've got a, a range of people here that always help out when, when we hit a bump in our virtual webinars and like Susan's joined in and helped us out. But that's distracting to me sometimes is having to work with the technical aspects of it. Um, I've been quite fortunate is that since Zoom is such a thing and the way people learn, people in the group often help me if we get stuck somewhere, which is I guess kind of a nice thing to do um, as a group, but that's a whole nother side of learning how to teach and train in the virtual world is a technology. Like Kim's talking about something 360 and Susan's talking about this game thing with a, with a, with a, for ambivalent statements. And I'm like, I don't even know what these things are, right? And so there's a whole lot of, there's a whole nother level of um, tools that we can use that you have to stay on top of or, or try to stay with to stay current in, in training. Um, and that to me gets exhausting thinking about that because sometimes it's just enough to stand and deliver the training. So I'm, one, I'm wondering how other people are negotiating that. And I, and I'm, I guess some people absolutely love it. They love the technology and they dive into it and they wanna, they wanna understand it and they wanna know more, uh, more about it. Um, it's just not something, it, I do it by necessity, not by desire. I think the one thing that's been really wonderful the last years, um, I mean, some of the mentees here know about David Rosengren's consultation groups. And I've been in a consultation group with Margot Bristow and Annie Faye and a couple other people. And it's been, you know, we meet once a month and it's been really wonderful because we've gotten to share a lot of the struggles um, technologically that we've come across and, and help problem solve. And so that's been a really beautiful way to get through, you know, anything, any place you get stuck with. Um, and Margot is a uh, rock star for technology. And so she's been a really, um, a really helpful person to me throughout this. Um, so thank you, Margot. Yeah, just to add into um, what Susan's saying, I think one of the challenges really is that, uh, I don't know if it's, it's just our part of the world, but 
But uh, broadband, <laughs> people dropping in and out can be really frustrating as learners, right? So making the learning experience as seamless as possible is, is kind of critical. And um, I had a situation yesterday where, where <clears throat> someone who was observing our training, you know, just kept on dropping in and out. And it was really frustrating because, again, I'm trying to kind of bring him back in all the time. And, uh, and again, as you say, Joel, trying to manage the kind of techie stuff that's going on. I think the tech's got better. And uh, I think, you know, it'll, it, it will continue to develop over time. But I think in terms of setup, I, you know, uh, techie, you know, I use three screens and, and, and I just think that's useful. Um, because, again, I can just have different things pivoting in different places. And so, so the transitions in and out of stuff just uh, makes such a difference. So, again, if we are to be serious about this stuff, that's, um, you know, I think we have to go to that level to some degree. The interesting thing is, is that I'm now having clients actually wanting me back in the room, which is really interesting. Um, I've got my first overseas trip in a year um, at the end of May. And we're in a bubble now with Australia. So, you know, people are saying, actually, we want you on, on the ground. We don't want to do virtual. And so, you know, Northern Territory, here I come. So that's interesting. And, and I'm seeing that, I'm hearing that more and more. Um, with some, so, so, there's some, so, so whether we go, we, well, I don't think we'll go back to how it was, but I think we'll go back to somewhere and maybe in the middle that people are still saying there is some, there is some benefit of actually flying someone like myself with, with some quite unique kind of skill sets to work with their teams. Um, and that's worth the money. So, so I don't think it's just a cost saving issue that uh, might be there for uh, organizations, they will actually evaluate the learning experience and say, how do we give our learners the best experience? And obviously there's a cost economic issue here, but so it'll be interesting to see what, where we are in a year's time with this kind of conversation. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think we're in an either or situation. I think, I think it's gonna be, it's gonna, um, it's gonna un unfold in a way that we probably can't predict. In regards to how things go from here, um, Joe. Yes. Give some thought to some folk we know are with us who might like to contribute, like Steve Berg Smith. I know Patrick's gone. Pitt might like to join us. And while you give uh, some thought to that, can I ask you, Ken? What is three screens? For God's sake. What is three screens? Yeah. What does it mean? Well, we've basically got three three different monitors operating concurrently, Steve. So um, it just means that I've I've got my powerpoints on one, I've got the group sitting on another, I've got my kind of videos all set up to go on another. So it just it just means that I can pivot back and forth, and it just makes life a, a lot easier in terms of not having to minimise and uh, screens and, and stuff. So so even when I'm running a video, I, I can, as Susan said, I can see how people are responding to that. If I'm doing an exercise, I'm doing a, a PowerPoint, I can I can see what the response is. I can see whether people have, have shifted off and, and you think, oh, you're looking at your Facebook posts or whatever, or your emails. So it's interesting to see that because you see the flickers, right? So it's interesting to think about these ideas. So, so there's something about actually just being able – for me, that's about staying connected with the group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because when you only got one screen, you're either running a video and then you've lost the group. So, so I can actually see in real time some of the reactions to what I'm doing. I think, Susan, you were saying similar things earlier. Wow. I have a, I have a summary that I use for um, participants, and it's written by a very famous person, but I think it fits this 
very apropos discussion uh, for virtual trainings. <laughs> so just for fun. Um, I'm horrified. But someone asked me what they were the other day and I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, that was one of those beautiful things that you said early on in the webinar about the six C's of the three C's. So Steve uh, Rolnick, we have Steve Berg-Smith on. Do you want to introduce him and get the conversation yeah. rolling with Steve? Absolutely. Uh, is Steve, is, is Steve, come on, look. Steve, yeah, Berg Steve, can you hear hi. me? Yeah, I love, I, we can I, hear you. We can't see you yet, but. Yeah, when I, when I click start video, it says yeah. you cannot start your video because the host has stopped it. Don't worry. Steve, I'm making you a co-host so you can do that. Yeah, let me introduce this man because uh, <laughs> I've known him for many decades and uh, Steve lives in, in, I think, San Francisco and he's a close personal friend and how lovely to see you, Steve. And he, um, I don't know what else to say other than um, the guy's got a hell of a lot of skill as a trainer and a, a generous spirit and heart like I cannot describe. And uh, recently we had a large meeting with a few hundred people in, and Steve produced a one hour or 50 minute presentation. It was and it was truly a wonderful experience. And uh, so welcome, Steve. Joel, you're going to see if you can light a fire under Berg Smith. I don't, I don't think it needs much of a blaze to do that, Steve. It's nice to see you again. It's been quite a while. Yeah, um, it's great. So how, how, are you, um, how are you traveling in this virtual world of training? Because I know that you've been um, a trailblazer in, in MI training for decades. And I'm wondering how this transition has been for you over the last year? It's been rocky. <laughs> it's been a journey. It's been an act of humility. Mm. Re returning to, be to being a beginner once again, to being a rookie in a constant process of learning and growing and shifting and changing. And I've actually gotten to a place where I've really, I'm really enjoying it. And I, I, I think the best part is that I, I've gotten to a place where I can let go. <laughs> you know, I, I don't have to do it perfect online. There's going to be curveballs. There's going to be glitches. There's going to be mistakes. It's just par for the course. And there, there's been an act of letting go that has been very helpful. And and just being a lot more patient with myself and having fun with working virtually. You know, the first three or four months when I was online, I was a nervous wreck. I, I didn't have all of my tools. I didn't have my, my normal repertoire. I felt it lost. I wasn't having fun. Um, I, I wasn't engaging with the audience and, and, and now it, it's gradually returning. And what's interesting is that in a couple of weeks, I'm going to be in my first in-person training in more than a year. I'm starting to get overtures again about that also, 
what, what I'm hearing for people that have witnessed in-person events that they've attended of mine in the past uh, and, and have attended a virtual training, you know, what I hear, oh, it's not the same. <laughs> it's okay. We, we really value it. Um, and, and it's not the same. And we, we, we want you to come back in person. So I'm going to be stepping back into the in-person world. And what, what's interesting, I'm feeling a little nervous about it because I don't know if I have my in-person sea legs on yet. And I'm sure that'll be uh, a transition in and of itself also. I think it's a bit like riding a bike. I shared the same thing, Steve, when I had a, a local group asked me to come in and they actually postponed the training for nine months because they wanted to do it face to face. Yeah. And I was, I was, I was nervous. I was like, I, I don't know if I, I don't know if I can do this anymore, you know? And I, I it was kind of like riding a bike. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, no, it, it, I relate completely to feeling like a, like a rookie, like here I go doing this again. And here I'm, walking to my very first training with my transparencies for the overhead projector, you know, and then they all fall off the projector. <laughs> and, and, and it just goes back to what I think people told me early on in my training career, just expect the unexpected, you know, that was, that's been the number one rule for me with Zoom. Um, holding a beginner's mind is just key. And I, I, I do want to make a personal shout out to Susan. Susan offered assistance to me a year ago. I, I, she supported me in finding an internal confidence that I was lacking. Mm -hmm. And Susan, thank you. And it's just a gift to have you in, in this webinar right now. And, and, and connected to that is what, what I've learned to do in the last year is to reach out to people in a way that I haven't done in 25 years. Asking for assistance, asking for guidance. My gosh, my 13-year-old daughter who has shared the room that I'm sitting in right now um, in her virtual classroom, she was my right-hand person. And she supported me with the technology. She's the one that put together my playlist for all of my trainings. She, she likes to pick out music that she thinks people about my age will enjoy. And just having fun in that way and having assistance in, in my virtual trainings has been a huge gift. And when I can assign an assistant to a breakout room, it supports everyone in getting their needs met and supports me in knowing that everyone is receiving the feedback that we all know is essential in supporting long-term acquisition of MI skillfulness. So calling on people. Mm, absolutely. Now, now, Michelle, I'm just looking at the chat. She said, Steve, Zoom training is the bomb. Dang. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Michelle. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm wondering. I'm wondering if we should flip it over to the audience right now because we have we have a we have a pretty good group of people. We have a, you know, we're gonna we're gonna sign off in a, officially in about in about twenty minutes. Um, 
would, does anybody, uh, would anybody from the audience like to come join us or want to share in the conversation? Just send a, send a message and we can promote you up. Because we got so many people here that are teachers, educators, trainers that I'm, like Steve, I'm always looking for new ideas about how I can do things differently and better. And can I meanwhile just pose a question? It's, it's a puzzle and maybe it's, it's a silly question. What is your style? What do you like in, when you're training virtually? Uh, I, I, I know Steve and I can describe how Steve is training in person. And I can Im sort of imagine what Ken and Susan might be like training in person. But I can't imagine what you like virtually. What is your style? Is that a stupid question? So that's a question for me, huh, Steve? What's yeah, my style? Each and all of you, I don't know. How would you characterize yourself? Your, the way you approach this and the, you know, what is it about you that you bring that, that's in a way unique in some way? I don't know. Steve, I, well, let me answer that question because because I think in some ways I, I I don't think I'm a lot different um, because again my, my my orientation value position is working with um, um, with integrity to bring out the best in people and, and yeah. passion you know so so again I, I I bring to this I bring to my work that passion to know that actually if if, if I can support people to do their practice better. That has a huge impact back in our communities, so so I, I still I don't go oh well training today you know da, da, da. I, I come with enthusiasm and an energy and uh, obviously I have my my off days and uh, I'm not quite as uh, sharp as I might be but but I think it's the same sort of orientation so I still want people to have a really good experience and and because I know that actually if I, if they have a bad experience online or in the room they'll take that experience to, to the next trainer the next training experience, the next learning experience they'll have. And so I have a responsibility to my colleagues and to further knowledge acquisition to, to give the best of me. Yeah. So, so that's my orientation that I walk in the room with. Now, I don't think I do that differently than when I'm online to when I'm actually in the room. I, I, I do share Joel's anxiety about going back into a room and Steve's anxiety of going back into a room. I've got a five-day training, a couple of five-day trainings coming up. So it's going to be interesting. I'm not sure how that's going to go because um, <laughs> I've been used to being online. But again, it's, it's that idea of just, you know, being, being with self, I think. Yeah. And, and, and finding a way to, to walk in a straight line from your personal values through the learning experiences, whatever the medium. I think as far as um, what Ken said is, is resonant of myself is I feel like I'm the same whether I'm in person or, or, vir or virtually. And I always, I take training so seriously and I try to really take a walk the morning of and center myself and how can I give people the best experience and show true MI spirit with partnership all throughout the training. Because as, um, my favorite role model who's on the panel now, Steve Berg Smith says, modeling is the only way to teach MI. And so I always have that in my heart and, um, you know, try to learn about the group as much as I can, if it's for an agency and um, talk to the preceptors to see where the challenges are. And sometimes I'll have um, them send me 
you know, a list of 25 ambivalent statements they might get from clients within that agency and kind of tailoring things to them. So that's, I'm answering more than you asked, but um, just trying to be myself and, and really um, modeling the spirit of MI all throughout. Steve, I, I was just, Steve Bergsmith, I was just laughing because I was thinking about something Denise Ernst told me, I don't know how long ago, 12, 15 years ago. And when we were talking about training and Denise, I was doing a training with Denise in Adelaide, Australia. And um, she came out with the butcher block paper and the pen and everything. And, and I said, no PowerPoint. She goes, no, Steve Bergsmith said, you got to remember you are the um, audio visual attraction. And now you literally are the audio-visual attraction doing online training. Um, and I think that's something that, Steve, I think about when I do face-to-face -face and online training is how do I translate, you know, the, the seriousness, the passion, the, the enjoyment, the fun that I have about training and, 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 and learning. How do I translate that online? And I guess that was what I was trying, struggling with the most. And finally, I just thought, well, I'll just be myself. And that seems to work. Um, it seems to translate from the feedback that I get back from participants on online training. It's just, I don't try to be Joel online. I just try to be Joel. Um, and, you know, that's a big enough challenge most days, but it, um, it seems to work training-wise. I know, I know we got Pip up. Um, so. Hey, Pip, we'll try to get your video going. Um, Steve, I'll let you introduce Pip. You're a longtime friend and colleague of hers. I've probably known Pip longer than, than any other colleague in any other field. Uh, we started in the, in the addictions field in the late 70s, I believe, having secret meetings about controlled drinking um, because it was such a hot topic. So it goes way back for Pip and I. And... Uh, our paths have intermittently crossed and we've written a book or more together. Um, and it's just lovely to have you with us. I, I, I can say that if about a month ago, you know, leaning on, on, on Steve's report about getting help from others, I phoned Pip and I said, listen, I've got to, I've got to deal with the subject of, of telephone uh, consulting. Um, and I spent half an hour with Pip and I just took notes and then a lot of, then I went and observed a GP telephone consulting and a lot of what Pip was pinpointing was exactly what I uh, came across when I observed the GP consulting. So uh, she's got a wealth of experience. If we can get her up, if we got up. Yeah, Pip, just uh, uh, turn your video on. You should be able to come on now. Okay, it said he wouldn't let me before. I, I, made, uh, you, I made you co-host Pip, so you should be able to do it now. I've clicked on it, but it's not doing it. Oh, oh there I am. There you are. Look like a zombie. Okay. Um, yes, one thing, well, a couple of things, but the, just going back to the last conversation about are you yourself? Do you change who you are online? I don't think I do. I think I'm exactly the same, but I think I'm received differently. How so? I think that... One way of me being myself when I'm teaching is that I can be very calm and just sit and wait for something to emerge out of a conversation. And people, and Steve's nodding, it's probably is true then. And I'll let that happen. I think actually when you're online, if you just sit there doing nothing, that actually doesn't feel the same. Yeah. 
It doesn't. People want expect a bigger level of dynamism and movement and noise and happening things happening. And I don't think it actually works so well. So I'm I'm kind of trying to work out what to do with that. Mm. So that was one point I wanted to say. The other one was to say that the um, we're talking about people, you know, being a bit sl slow, slow in the up, not slow in the uptake. What was it you said, Joel? A late, a late adopter. Yes. I would say so. Go so far, say I'm a luddite. I actually just do not have anything to. They were the people that smashed up all the machines in the industrial revolution because they didn't like them. Yep. Um, I could easily smash up. The, <laughs> I'm a luddite for sure. Um, but what changed me was when I realised, having grappled for a couple of weeks about trying to make one of my courses online, that I was doing it the wrong way. I needed to chuck everything out the window and start again. And that meant I could do things like get away from the two-day two workshop. I mean, where did that come from? It's become like the holy grail, really. And the two-day workshop didn't need to be a two-day workshop at all. And I could actually think what to do with it and changed it to being two hours once a week and how that completely changed the whole thing. Mm. That was only possible because of the technology, but it's not actually a technology thing. It's just something else that would have been nice to do before that you can do because you've got the technology to make it possible. So that was a revelation to me to suddenly think, what would I really have liked to do before that maybe I can do now that I hadn't thought about? Yeah, that's definitely something I've done is I've, I've chopped my workshops up into four segments. Um, if yeah, the, the, the two day gold standard, that was funny. You know, I wonder where that came from. Um, but yeah, I think shortening them. And I think that the other thing that I think that this technology does is it brings the opportunity for people to learn not only MI, but a host of other kind of skills um, into their home that they never could have gotten because of either physical distance or cost. Yes, yes. So now I can run a workshop and people can attend it from all over the world if they want to work with the time. Um, and I think that's a real gift of this technology, particularly in areas and regions that can't afford trainers that, that they, they just don't, they don't have the money. And so you can, there's no overhead in running in running a workshop other than zoom in my time. So I can charge less. I can do it for free if I want to. Um, I can co-train with people I've never trained with before if we can get the times right. So it creates a whole new dimension and how accessible training can be for people and how I can learn and grow as a trainer myself. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's a challenge is to keep focusing on what it's giving us that we didn't have before rather than what are we losing by having it? Because I do think there are things lost and people have you know, told us what they are, really. I do think there are losses, um, but, but maybe they're made up for by what we've got. Mm. In any case, we weren't choosing between Zoom and face-to-face. -face. That wasn't ever the choice. The choice was between Zoom and nothing in the middle of a pandemic. Absolutely. Yeah. And people want to learn. I mean, look at, look at, you know, all of the master classes that you can now learn from, you know, famous writers, actors, business people, 
that have, you know, that have been kind of pulled together by a corporation to deliver lectures that weren't around that much before, that people weren't going to. You'd have to, you know, fly to London or Chicago or somewhere to go spend a day with such and such. And now you can just do it online. Yeah. It's brilliant. Yeah. It's I'm wondering what everybody else is thinking about right now. What's on your minds? That's an example of what Pip was talking about, where in person you can keep quiet and hand it over. And then when you did that then, Joel, I immediately went, oh, what if nobody says anything? It's interesting. <laughs> well, but it's you know, also they are thinking that. So sorry, Joel, just a minute. It's that the audience are thinking, what if nobody says anything? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's not so much whether you can handle it, it's whether it's what impact it does. I think the audience is inclined to think, well, God, they've run out of things to say. Yeah, that's right. Well, I'm reading the chat. People haven't run out of things to say. They're, they're, they're contributing substantial um, content. Yeah, but these aren't normal content. people. Yeah, well, you know, that's okay. Yeah, I know. But, I, but there's a lot of, of a lot going on within the conversation. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, yeah. So where to from here? What are your, why were you guys thinking about the future of all this? What do you, you know, in terms of what, what can anyone have any ideas about what we could expect or, or have, a, have a sense of what, how the science or the technology is, is building to make virtual learning even better? You know, Joel, I, I've had one thought as a result of listening to this webinar because I'm really green and new and I'm ab about to do it. And uh, I got a call this morning and I agreed to help a child line, the advisors who take a calls from a child line, I agreed to help them. And um, uh, uh, I also threw out that they asked whether I'd give them a one day training. And I said, no, uh, over two weeks and it'll be two hours, two hours a week, you know. And, um, what, I, what, I, what struck me quite a, strongly here today is a comment that Ken made, which is a, a reminder, which is, what are you using the online experience for and what other kinds of learning can happen around it? And as a result of this discussion now, I'm feeling a lot less anxious, Ken, because the online stuff's going to be about storytelling and it's going to be about their values and it's going to be about how they feel about the conversations with these young kids and what they'd like to get out of it and with a few things of mi coming in but they can learn the factual stuff around that and so it feels to me like that that's the design challenge and that's hell of a useful and i thank you yeah can, can i contribute into that Thanks, Steve. For that. Look, I think one of the challenges, we, we, we've been a year into this, and, and I think people are now going to start comparing. And I think we, we don't have the evaluation data around, you know, what's the better delivery mechanism we can use here. So I think it's interesting, I think, as we, um, some agencies are going to say, you know, we would, for some training, for some learning experiences we want in room, brothers will say we will be okay with taking, you know, an online 
So, so I think this this will be interesting because I think we're on a new normal, and I don't know what that looks like anymore. We always say that, but I think um, you know everyone everyone embrace Zoom, but we also know a lot of people have missed out. You know, going back to your earlier idea, Joel, around education, that we have a whole group of young folk who have actually dropped out uh, of online learning because they haven't been in the room. So there's something about also learning styles for people, what works best and how we can work it out. So I think we're in an interesting space and I'm just going to be really intrigued by where we sit in a year's time uh, as, yeah. as, we, uh, as our borders open and we're able now to travel and who will say yes, who will say no, what agencies will be more conservative in that regard, what should be more kind of um, open to that possibility. So look, I don't know what the answer is going forward. But, but I, I embrace the journey in some ways. It's a bit like Steve, Steve Berg-Smith. You embrace the journey and see where it's going to take us. I, I don't know. Yeah, I definitely want to be swimming upstream on this journey, that's for sure, because it's happening. It's, 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 it's happening, and it, and it is. And I, I was, uh, you know, and just in kind of a little MI land, you know, over the over the next year or two years, there are going to be people who learn MI online. They might actually become a, a trainer, join MIMP, and now we're doing virtual trainers of new trainings online. And they may never, for a while, spend much time in a training room with people face to face. A and then, Joel, them- they, may, they may well be also seeing their service users online. Absolutely. So that might actually be more appropriate to learn in the same media that they're actually seeing the people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I know in the service I was working with in, in South Brisbane is that our, when we would go through shutdowns because of the pandemic, our, um, the time we spent talking to clients decreased, but the amount of contact we had increased because mm-hmm. we were doing either telemedicine or or telephone, or even even text messaging. Mm-hmm. I had more contact with my clients, but for less amount of time per contact. Yeah, it's funny that you know, Pip. Uh, this morning, when I was speaking to this training commission, I suddenly realised as she was talking that um, because of the ease of access, uh, I said to, her, "Could we have one of the kids online? In other words, could we bring the clients into the training?" Mm-hmm. And she said, "Absolutely, she'll find some." So uh, that's adding a new dimension to the le- talk about a learning experience. It's going to add a new dimension. Yeah. To have them actually in the room with us, I, I, I'm yes. supposed to work out how that's going to be designed in a, in an ethical and safe way. But I thought it was a fabulous opportunity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when I was training in Myanmar years and years and years ago, they brought in some um, patients from the alcohol detox ward for me to demonstrate how to do motivational interviewing on in front of an audience. Um, and that was, a, I didn't know how to work that one out ethically, but I figured I was in a different country, so I just needed to roll with it. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that goes, Steve. It'll be really interesting to see how it goes. Yeah. Well, folks, we're coming up to the, um, to the, uh, to the hour and a half that we've, uh, that we, we've uh, been graciously offered your time. Um, I want to go around to closing comments. I also want, Steve, if you throw the Guardians in there in the chat again, that would be good. There you are. I've um, done it. 
you're on to it, man. You are onto this technology. Angie and I are going to be um, are going to be uh, marginalized very soon by your new skills. Honestly, um, the, the Joel, the day after the last webinar, I got this most charming, sweet uh, video, especially from Ralph Bovis in Cape Town, and he was dressed in a very extravagant form with a whole lot of kids around him, and they all said thank you. So, um, believe me, the next day there's an impact. So, do do click the URL, folks. Yes, please do. Please do. Um, why don't we do a round? You know, I'd, I'd be really interested in if, if you, you're closing your closing thoughts and reflections on the conversation or anything else you'd like to add um, before we officially turn the webinar off. And we're, we're happy to hang out for a little while and keep the chat going. But I know people have things to do. Um, so Ken McMaster, why don't you start? Yeah, I, I think in some ways what resonated for me was a comment of Pip made actually about, and in MI we talk about meeting people where they're at. And, and I think maybe that's the kind of the, the, the key idea here. We meet people where they're at, whether that's online, whether that's in room. Uh, we figure out what's going to work for people and we continue to engage with them. So, and, and so what I think this, uh, this new kind of period we are in allows us for innovation and flexibility. So I'm, I'm pretty excited, actually, because it's, uh, you know, because you know, early last year I, I thought, oh, um, I've got work that I can't go to. So how do we pivot that? And, and of course, it's really interesting. And, and people have been really generous. I think that's the other thing, too, that our learners have been incredibly generous to us. Um, I, I, I've been saying also they won't continue to be generous. And if we're just going to do death by PowerPoint, as Steve indicated earlier, I think they will go, nah, there's actually better stuff out there that we will, we will consume. So there's something about, you know, thinking about putting ourselves in the learner's shoes and going, so where do I meet you and what are your needs? Mm. Susan? Um, you know, we always say in, as trainers, read the room the room will lead you where you need to go. And I still think that is the truth with, um, with our virtual trainings is really reading the room, what they need um, and going to where that place is. And I think the key word with COVID has been adaptability, right? How do we adapt our trainings? How do we adapt how we think so that it fits um, the current culture and the challenges because people are, so um, fatigued and weary and, um, and needing that human connection. So how do we apply that as much as we humanly possibly can in a training? And I truly do think it's possible. Um, and people seem to um, really be touched by MI. And, and I think it's something that people want and need. And um, it's an honor for me to provide that. And it's an honor for me to be on this webinar today. So thank you so much. We're grateful. We're grateful. Um, Steve Burke-Smith, what are some thoughts and ideas that you have percolating? Be yourself. What you said earlier, earlier Joel, just that, that hit me right here because early on the first few months of working virtually, I wasn't being myself. I wasn't having fun. I wasn't being playful. I wasn't using the tools. I wasn't just 
being real with people, wasn't being my authentic self. And the blessing is, is that I've rediscovered that working online, working virtually and being animated and moving my body and standing up. And I, I think one thing that working virtually has also done, it's given me permission to be even weirder than I normally am. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine that. <laughs> yeah, there, 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 there's some anonymity to it. And so it, it, it and, and it's important for, for my own self-care because it's not easy being on Zoom for most of the day, facilitating learning in this way. It is tiring. So what can we do to mix things up and have fun and laugh? Oh, and playing lots of music has been key. And I always have my drum right beside me when I'm doing training. I do lots of drumming with people and just weird things like that. And letting people know where I live and inviting them into my home and saying, hey, this is my office. It's also our guest room. It's also our TV room. It's also my daughter's virtual classroom. Welcome. I am so glad to be here with all of you today. And we're going to go on a journey and we're going to learn about motivational interviewing. So as you can see right now, I'm just modeling. <laughs> I'm not, mo I'm just, I'm walking the talk. I'm living and breathing, being myself in the moment, which yeah. is essential. It translates, Steve, it translates well. Pip, what, what are some ideas and thoughts you have? Well, I can't remember who said this right at the very early in, in the seminar, um, webinar, I should say, use the right language. Um, but somebody said, talking about it being, looking at how it can be more inclusive and how it can be more exclusive. And I thought that was a really good way of asking yourself the question about what you're doing. And I've been having discussions recently with people in working with homeless people and so on, who were saying that actually it was very exclusive, this kind of thing, because there's no way they're ever going to get access to the technology. Um, and yet to somebody else who might be disabled, for example, Somebody mentioned that it's more inclusive because they can, don't have to get out of the house to come to things. So I thought that was a good framework. I'll be using that. Thank you, whoever said it. Absolutely. Susan, thanks a lot. I know you had to go. Thank you so much for being on. Um, all right, folks. Well, uh, the, 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 the webinar is officially over. We still have about 60 people here. Um, and if anybody we can, um, if anybody has more they want to talk about or you want to hang out and talk some more, that's fine. I've, I've got a couple of thoughts going on in my head that have come up as we've been talking about, about the, being the trainer, but I'm really interested in, in other people as well, too. I'm just, gonna, I'm just gonna pee the dog. I won't be long. There's always somebody brings a dog onto Zoom. Really? Yes. Well, yeah. Thank you for filling in the gap. Nobody done it. You were the one who you were the one to do it. I've got to pee uh, the dog. I'll be well, I'll be back. Okay. <laughs> well, one one of the things one of the things that I do miss about the training is not only being in the room, and I, I forgot who was saying. I think it was Susan. Is that um, 
when you go to a training, whether it's in Christchurch or in Singapore, you know, I have my rituals and routines to from leaving the house to getting there to the morning of the training and having breakfast, you know, at a certain time and getting there and setting the things up. And it's very different online. And I found that I have to be more mindful because I can go, oh, I got five minutes, I can go run, do this, or I can do that and then show up and it's like, okay, I'm here, let's go. As opposed to I've been through this sort of, I don't know, ritual, I guess is the word I would say with it in order to get there and to get present and to be in the room and to feel that way. And, and I miss that. I miss that part of it. And it's hard to, to plug into it when it's easy to kind of walk the dog and then sit down and do the training or have breakfast right before I turn Zoom on, um, which is not what I'd usually do. I don't know if it affects anything. It's just something personal. Uh, when Steve asked, you know, think about personally, how does this make you, you know, what do you, how do you feel about it? And that's something that I miss as a, a trainer and, and doing education. I think, Joel, that, that one of the things we are learning about um, on the online world is that idea of transition. And I talked about that earlier. It's this idea of actually for us, and but also for people learning, how do we get them in the right space? Because, again, those rituals of getting ready for an experience are so profound, aren't they? So, so there's a whole lot of stuff, I think, in terms of where, because I've been working in, in MI, but also in, in the family harm, family violence area. And so there's something about actually warming people up to the experience of, of having a virtual kind of intervention, for example, or a virtual training, but also the idea of transitioning out, too, of the experience. So yes. I think there's something about, you know, taking real care at that front end. To, are, are you here, basically? Are, are you with us? Or are you still distracted? Are you still thinking about the dishes on the sink? Or are you still thinking about, actually, you know, my kids being distracted or whatever? So, And it is like the transition out in terms of making sure people are then, particularly in terms of intervention work around family harm, but, but safe, because you might still be at the kitchen table. So there's something about those ideas of how do we, I think, formalise those processes much more on a virtual training because we and, and, and when you come to a session, when you come to a place, we, as you say, you have those rituals in play. And, and we need, I think we need to replicate those. So we're good to go. People are good to go and, uh, and good to leave. Absolutely. Hey, Steve, I, yeah, I have an official request. So Anna's going to join us and I want her to particularly talk about co-training with Margot uh, virtually. Can you, you're the host now, Steve. Can you please make her a, a co-host? Yeah, you, you, you know, you're completely stretching me beyond, you know. Well, this is MI and beyond, Steve. Um, so go to, if you highlight her name and you go to more, it'll say make co-host. Whose name must I highlight? Anna. Anna Brewer. She's in the panelist. Hi, I think you can hear my voice now. Maybe. Hey, Anna. Well, <laughs> Steve's working out the mechanics of it all. Mm -hmm. um, Anna, I, I saw you were here and I, and I'm, I'm, I, I wanted to hear um, some of your thoughts, particularly about some of the, um, the ventures that you and Margot 
have been doing in terms of co-training and how you're doing co-training online? Sure. It's been quite an adventure. And this is so funny that as I, I was just walking back into my office from taking a bathroom break and I saw that you had joined me. So this is one of those examples of how to be flexible and sort of on the fly with this as, as Stephen was just speaking about. So um, I'm grateful that I'm back and you didn't get an empty wall when you okay. turn the video on. And if you, if you yeah. click your camera now, you should be able to come on. Thank you, Steve. I've made you a host. I don't know what it means. It's really unfair of you to ask me to do this. Oh, there you are. Yeah. Great, brilliant. Here I am, hello. Wow. Yeah. So, so you and Margo have struck out in a, in a, in a partnership um about and, and doing all kinds of training online yeah. as, as co-trainers which is mm -hmm. a real luxury mm -hmm. how are you guys how are y'all approaching that well i think it was ken earlier who might have said that perhaps these virtual environments are a space where we can make use of storytelling like maybe steve mentioned that steve i think he did um and so it's hard for me to answer that question without backing up and telling a little bit of our story yeah, sure. how we started this um, because Margo and I had done some co-training in person at the end of 2019 um, and the beginning of 2020 as sort of a transition because I was moving out of the Chicago area and I was sort of giving a warm handoff to her, a great trainer with an organization I was working with. So we co-trained together in person. And then when I moved away, we connected partly because we just wanted to keep the conversation going about training as event trainers. And then it became, well, how do we, what do we do with this lockdown time? And what are we interested in? And we both just started sharing our interests. And so, you know, this may make a really interesting kind of quote advanced MI topic series. And why don't we put it out there and, and see if some folks want to join us for a, we did a three part nine hour once a week sort of workshop. And with some folks who were most, most of whom were other Mint members. And that experience was us just saying, you know, we, we want to stay connected with people through the pandemic or lockdown. We want to talk about things we're interested in. And then from there, we said, oh, I think we could do regular MI training, just introductory level online. What do you think? And, and we continued the conversation and then designed some online training and then the agencies we'd already worked with reached out to us and we said, yeah, we can make this work because we'd practiced. And, but it came really out of wanting to connect and use the skills. And I was teaching online. So I carried over a lot of my online teaching approaches to this platform. And I have thought of it a lot of, um, like I think of telehealth, telemental health. So I have a background in that from my internship and postdoc years. And I remember I was pretty early. I would say I'm I'm not a, I'm, what's the advantage? The person who's willing to take up technology, even if I have no idea how to use it. <laughs> so that's some of, um, kind of who I am. And partly because of my spouse, he's a, he's um, cybersecurity and tech and he's, his job title is actually principal futurist. So new technology comes into my house all the time. And I don't have um, any knowledge or expertise in it and, and willingness to try. So um, I was the same with telemental health when I realized people are going to want this platform for therapy. And 
I, I don't want to be behind on that. I want to be able to meet people where they are. And so I've been practicing clinically this way for a decade and thought, well, you know, let me carry some of those skills into this. And so some of those pieces of connecting, listening well, showing up, remembering that our emotions do come across in this platform. Um, when we make it engaging, people do want to turn their cameras on. Uh, that it, it, It's been really just a carryover of a lot of my clinical approaches. And then MI, so it's great. And what are you finding, and I know Ken, you've done some co-training as well too online. I've had one, one, one shot at it. What are you finding about co-training online? How, how is that working? Oh, look, co-training is great. And um, it's, it's like in the room, isn't it? That uh, you bounce off each other and, uh, and, uh, and you know, you can, you can share the tech and uh, it just, it's, it's just a lot easier, quite frankly. And, and you don't feel you're carrying, as you said earlier, Joe, I think all the tech and you're delivering content and you're trying to sort of keep, the, keep, keep connected. So, you know, it's like any co-training relationship. The challenge is always about balance and uh, making sure that... Uh, you know, you, you, you're kind of working as a team and you're not taking over really. So, you know, I think, uh, I think co-training is wonderful. And I think that's the, you know, in the room, it's great. And I think we, online is great too, because you bring some different nuance to ideas. And that's the richness of having more than one voice in the room. And mm. when you share that, your voice with the voice of the participants or the people who are consuming the kind of what you're doing, I think that um, it can make it a really rich experience. And of course, you've got something to talk to afterwards. <laughs> I don't know if, Anna, if you found that. You go, oh, well, you know, that's, uh, did that go well? Did it go well? Which bits work well? Which bits? Because you've only got, otherwise, you've only got your own self perception, which can be a little misleading at times, in my experience. <laughs> yeah, no, it is interesting. That, 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 that sort of ending a training bit on Zoom, it's like leave leave the room and everybody just disappears. You know, at least on the face-to-face, -face, people trickle out, you know, or there's someone to walk to the car park with, or, you know, somebody might <laughs> might say, you know, would you like to go have a beer or would you like to go out to dinner tonight or something like that? And there's some, there's some carry on, you know, but with Zoom, it's like one button and everybody just disappears. And then it's like, okay, well, I guess now I can do the dishes. Um, it's different. It's, it, that, that's kind of the, the, the the experiential part of it to me that's really different that I'm I'm, I'm really aware of. I do co-training and I love it much less. Yeah, yeah, I, obviously. I'm just reading the comments about the co-training. Mm. Cool. All right, folks, we may have come to the end of the conversational trail. Um, and I really uh, appreciate everybody's time. The panelists, Anna, I appreciate you jumping in. I thought it would give you a choice to accept or decline. Um, <laughs> I didn't know it just instantly promotes you. I'm sorry about that. That's all right. Um, you know, I figured you could, um, you could give it a go. Um, yeah. And look, I just want to say thanks so much, Steve and Ken and Susan and Anna and Pip and everybody who's been participating in the chat. I'll, um, I'll save the chat and I'll try to figure out how to email it to everybody uh, because I think, you know, people might want to go through. There's some great ideas in it. 
and some really warm and supportive things that people were saying. So that's much appreciated. Um, well, so as for me, I'd like to just say, um, everybody have a good morning, afternoon or night, whatever your, uh, whatever's next for you. Uh, I really appreciate it. Please support the guardians and uh, Steve, I'll pass it over to you to say goodbye. Uh, and we'll call it a day. Goodbye. And for me, the loveliest thing is being seeing you all, I must say, and just trying to imagine and absorb where you are, you lovely people. It's fantastic to see you and, um, yeah, almost as good as the real thing. Not quite. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's the perfect way to end the conversation. So thanks a lot. And um, you guys take good care. And we'll see you down the road. Bye, Ken, Steve, Bye. Ona, and everybody present. All the yeah. best. Eh? Thanks, Angela Watkins. Bye-bye. Yes, Angie, thank you. Thank you so much for staying up with us, Ange. All right. Bye-bye, everybody. See you later. Reba Poobah, a yee-haw bookum.